You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Vulnerable peer-to-peer software exposes consumer and small business IoT devices to compromise. A hacker says he's hacked automotive GPS trackers, all for the good, of course, and could even turn off a car's engine. Not, you know, that he would. Sri Lanka warns of the possibility of more violence, and journalists wonder if prior restraint of certain speech might be worth considering. Curating app stores for security, and potty mouth scooters on Brisbane Street. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 29, 2019. There are two reports of vulnerabilities that are of general interest as the week opens. First, researcher Paul Marapese has published his discovery, responsibly disclosed it should be noted, of a vulnerability in the Link P2P software widely bundled with IoT devices. It's essentially a lack of authentication and encryption in peer-to-peer sharing, and it exposes many such devices to compromise. The affected systems include web-enabled cameras, DVRs, baby monitors, and smart doorbells, the sorts of things consumers might wish to access via their smartphones. The sharing makes it easy to do so. Unfortunately, it also makes it easy for the devices to overshare with ill-intentioned outsiders who have no business in those systems in the first place. Motherboard says that a hacker going by the name LNM maintains the ability to exploit automotive GPS trackers made by ProTrack and iTrack to affect cars remotely, including in some cases turning off engines while the vehicles are in motion. LNM says he hasn't actually done that because he's a good guy and isn't interested in hurting individuals, only companies, so one imagines that drivers have got at least that going for them. But if the claims are borne out, as they seem to have been, at least in part, There are some serious issues with the way GPS tracking is implemented in onboard automotive systems. Sri Lanka's nationwide investigation of the Easter Sunday jihadist massacres continues, with tragic results over the weekend. During a police raid on a suspected jihadist cell, the AP reports, militants opened fire and then set off a bomb, killing 15 in and around the building in which they were cornered. Several children are among the dead. Sri Lanka's response to the attacks has involved close attention to the killer's activities online, although in this case much of the coordination appears to have been accomplished in the face-to-face contacts more traditional with terrorist cells. The authorities are warning that the threat is far from contained 
as shown by this weekend's blast and the quantities of bomb-making material police have seized. It's become clearer that the government in Colombo had warnings that might have enabled them to interdict the massacres had they been acted on. Indian intelligence services in particular are said to have shared fairly extensive and explicit indicators and warnings of attack. Sri Lanka's response has been intense, but foreign observers are generally giving it poor marks for effectiveness. That's perhaps understandable, given the shocking nature of the attacks. A journalist makes the case in Wired for regulating social media. It's not so much stop me before I tweet again as it is stop them before they speak again or post again. It's a curious and relatively newfound tenderness many in the media are showing for the sort of prior restraint that not too long ago they'd have ruled out at once. The concern is prompted, to be sure, by the malign use to which online communication has been put by terrorist groups and loose connections of extremist misfits. How such regulations might play out remains to be seen. Here's one suggestion that doesn't appear in the Wired essay. The police are just as free to read the newspapers as anyone else, and open-source intelligence drawn from social media and elsewhere can be used for public safety. That's what India's intelligence services appear to have done in the run-up to the Sri Lanka massacres. It's a sorrow better use wasn't made of their warning. App Store curation continues to pose challenges. Google is purging its Play Store of applications contributed by China-based software shop Dio Global after researchers reported last week that the Chinese company's products were implicated in widespread ad fraud. As Gizmodo notes, the dozens of Dio Global apps affected by Google's sweep have been installed somewhat more than 600 million times. Apple, whose store tends to be more tightly curated and controlled, is also working to restrict certain kinds of apps. Cupertino has decided to keep most parental control apps out, and that's proving controversial. These form, in most respects, a subset of the mobile device management sector, given the high rate at which minor children are now equipped with phones and tablets. Apple defends its exclusion of parental controls apps on grounds of security and privacy. It's just too easy for such apps to collect more than they should, to overshare, and to have poorly vetted security. That's not to say they're an inherently dodgy section of the market, but they probably merit some extra scrutiny. Parents, of course, want parental controls, and some vendors are ready to sell them, and they're not entirely happy with Apple's stance, reasonable as that stance might appear from a certain viewpoint. Kaspersky Lab, for one, sees it as a case of monopolistic restraint of trade and has filed an antitrust claim in a Russian court. And finally, don't believe everything a smart device says. Hackreed has a note on a pointless act of cyber vandalism, apparently done for the lulls. Electric scooters being tested in Brisbane have their audio files replaced, so the scooters now share dim-witted, lewd wisecracks. Allowed. These particular scooters have been withdrawn, for now, from testing, with the manufacturer, Lime, scolding, It's not smart, it's not funny, and is akin to changing a ringtone. It's disappointing that someone has taken this opportunity to poke fun at members of the community in a hurtful way. We're pretty much with Lime on this one. So, if you hear an e-scooter say things like, pull my hair, don't act on the request. It's just some jerk talking through the scooter, friend, and not the rider. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, great to have you back. It's good to be back, Dave. You are also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. I am. People should check that out. They should if they haven't done so already. <laughs> so today we are going to talk about Facebook. And you wanted to hit on uh, some adjustments that Facebook has made to some numbers. <laughs> yes. Go on. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was on here talking about the uh, fact that Facebook was logging user credentials in plain text, including their passwords. Right. And right. they had logged some large number. And they were Facebook was kind of downplaying it, saying, no, no, this is not a big deal. These yeah. numbers didn't breach out. As they do. Right. Well, Naked Security has an article uh, from, from the 19th of April saying that Facebook is now saying, oh, we logged 100 times more Instagram passwords in plain text than we thought. A hundred times more. hundred times. Several orders of magnitude. Yes, two. <laughs> two of them. See, here's the thing about these breaches. Um, they yeah. very rarely, in fact, I can only remember hearing about one that was, oh, it's not as bad as we thought it was. We actually lost less data. Hmm. Uh, every time I hear about these things, you hear about the, the news cycle breaks and they've lost a million passwords or a million people's information. And right. then you hear another week later, okay, we've looked into it more. We've actually lost 10 million or 50 million, or in the case of Facebook, 100 times more. Hmm. Um, these things never get smaller, almost never get smaller. They yeah. al almost always get bigger. What do you make of this? I mean, these organizations, they're now required to report within a certain amount of time. Right. So they have to get information out there. Right, yeah. So that, well, that people yeah, say that's part of it. That might be part of it. That there, there might be regulations like GDPR that just make, that compel Facebook to t tell people what they know immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then 
kind of slowly dribble out this information as they discover it. Right. Uh, and if they're if they're complying with regulation, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. But, um, I think it's interesting also that this past week, the Wall Street Journal said that when Facebook released its earnings report, that they have uh, set aside three billion dollars for anticipated fines from the FTC. What about this notion that that big companies like Facebook have to be broken up? That uh, you know they're the modern robber robber barons that they're running a monopoly and and uh, for the good of the nation and the good of the world, we need to split them up into pieces. So there's a couple of things that, from my rudimentary understanding of monopoly law, which is not good, and I'm not mm-hmm. a lawyer, but one of, the, <laughs> one of the big problems with calling them monopolies is that there is essentially no barriers to entry, right? Mm. Uh, you know, with Railroads are a monopoly because I can't go out and build a railroad easily. Right? Yeah. There's a significant barrier to entry. But I can go out and certainly build a social media network Real easy. Mm. Um, this is why I was always saying that Microsoft wasn't a monopoly, despite the fact that uh, 90%, 90%, more than 90% of the people who had computers used Microsoft. There were free alternatives like Linux and FreeBSD out there. Mm. That's not a monopoly. People are just making a market decision. But when you talk about being too big, like, for instance, Facebook has gone out and they've bought up Instagram. Right. And the FTC approved that and the SEC approved that or yep. uh, somebody approved it. Uh, I'm not so sure that's in the benefit of the consumer. You know, the, these companies going out and, and acquiring each other, it, it doesn't provide a, a competitive environment. I think that should definitely stop. So in terms of in terms of breaking them up and breaking Facebook back up into its constituent parts, I wouldn't be upset by that at all. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do with Twitter? Twitter is just Twitter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess uh, I just can't help having this feeling like we can't we can't continue down the same path that we're on. That. Uh, some something has to change, whether it's from within Facebook and Twitter, and or or regulations have to come down on them. Uh, or here's a three trouble. million dollar idea: someone yeah. can start a new social media site that doesn't track all the data and tries to be a good corporate citizen. Yeah, market it that way. Yeah, I sincerely wonder why that hasn't happened. Yeah, me too. Someone has it not been? Has someone run the numbers and it's not financially viable? Um, is, it, is it that the because uh, I believe there is a barrier to entry, and I think that is that everybody's on Facebook, right? So how are you going to get everybody to move over? How are you going to get enough people to move over when Facebook is hit critical mass, where that's where everybody is, that's where all the pictures are, that's where all the events are? That's you know how do you pull people away from that? I think it's easier said than done. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. Well, we've solved all the world's problems right. here today, Joe. Yeah, so. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just resigned ourselves to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, always good having you here. It's always good to be here. All Dave. right. Take thanks care. Thanks for having me. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.